listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and with me today is Tamara Nelson. Tamara is the co-founder and the CEO of Barometer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. So I'm really curious how you got into the podcast space. What about the industry was attracting to you? So we started Barometer with a focus on news and identifying basically sensationalism and editorial bias in news to help news consumers make more kind of shrewd decisions about how to interpret the news that they were coming across. And it was kind of just in reaction to the news cycle that uh, I grew up in basically in America, but then also reflecting on both my co-founder and I have lived in places with state-sponsored media. So I, when I was a kid, I experienced a lot of like the Russian state media and like understood how much of a profound effect that really has on the narratives that are in the culture. And similarly, uh, my co-founder lived in Indonesia um, during the Suharto revolution. So mm. a lot of that state-sponsored uh, narrative being consumed and produced there in America it was a little bit different. And so we were like, well, how do we give consumers more like data-driven tools? And we realized that really the culture of news was shifting where folks were, we were hearing from many people like, oh, I just don't even turn on the news anymore because it's so much or it's so this or so that. And then people turned to Twitter and like, that was the next thing. And the short form nature of tweets made it really hard to like communicate synthesis or like nuanced ideas. Um, and so podcasts kind of emerged um, in my perspective as kind of like a reaction to the condensation and the shorter and shorter form of news that we were seeing in other media types. And so we realized that that's really where people were getting their news, but it wasn't as neatly labeled as news in the podcast content. So that's what made it a really interesting space for us. And thinking about like, how do you characterize risk in uh, discussions of news in podcasts? That question of kind of like content moderation, walking the line of freedom of speech and content moderation is also uh, very close to our heart, again, because of the whole state-sponsored news thing. So it just was a super juicy and interesting space with like a growing audience that we realized that if we wanted to make an impact on how basically the advertising machine kind of affects the population and how it interacts through content to do that, podcast was a really neat space to work in because so many people listening to it, it's an exponentially growing user-generated content space. So it's a perfect situation for leveraging AI to provide better data for people to be able to make data-driven decisions. Wow, that is really fascinating. I love to hear your journey. And it's so neat that you're able to take the background that you had growing up and apply what that would be like here in the US. And obviously, free speech is a really important cornerstone of our society here in the US. And I think that all of the lines are getting so blurred as everything is moving online. And really, there isn't any regulation. I know just yeah. coming from an advertising background, one of our newer shows emailed me the other day, and he was like, what are the laws around like who can and can't advertise on podcasts? And I'm like, yeah, there really aren't any, like it's all really super blurry. And um, so yeah. I think looking at it from a news perspective is really interesting as well. So your company really was founded on this idea of brand safety. And I'm curious, 
you know, when we look at content creation, obviously we, we have, you know, recently kind of come off the heels of all the controversy around Joe Rogan and maybe him saying things or bringing guests on. Obviously the entire COVID discussion, like what was real, what was, you know, maybe not accurate, what was backed up. But realistically, anybody can say anything that they want on a podcast. And yeah. um, so if we're looking at it from a, a brand perspective, why is brand safety something that companies should really be aware of or, or thinking about and considering? That's a good question. So I feel like for a brand, like your whatever content that you advertise on is what your brand becomes associated with. And people are, uh, the way that our minds work, I'm a cognitive scientist by training and I specialize in like machine learning and it's all based on how our biased brains make associations and how those associations basically run our perspectives. And when we're in, when we're seeing like a visual image, 90% of our processing is actually top down. So we think that we're looking at something, but really our brain is telling us what we're seeing. So with brands, when they're advertising with on content, the, the audience associates their brand with whatever content it's around. And then that can sometimes be a very negative association. And so as a brand, it's really important to mitigate and manage and be really aware of what people are associating your brand with. And the challenge is that every brand is different. So every brand might have a different like political position or a different perspective on what they want to be associated with. And so what's cool about brand suitability is like, unlike brand safety, that's like, okay, nobody should monetize anything here. Brand suitability is a lot more nuanced and allows brands to really pick and choose what their values are, which is an important conversation to have as a brand. But then also brand suitability tools allow you to enforce that policy in your advertising process. So you can really be confident that the content that your ad is going to appear on will result in a positive association or in an association that you're comfortable with rather than one that you're that you would want to avoid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. So I think one of the things that's interesting to me about content is that most people who are consuming content are in alignment with the content that they're consuming, right? So I've had yeah. um, agencies tell me, oh gosh, you know, like this conservative talk works super well for us, even though like maybe the brand doesn't necessarily align with those conservative viewpoints, it converts super well because of this level of engagement. So I guess I'm just curious from your perspective, when we think about that connection, I think that that makes total sense, right? Like obviously when you, when you have a brand that is in content, you're going to associate the two of them. Even if you don't mean to intentionally, subconsciously, you're going to link that. Um, however, if yeah. that connection then helps with conversion, why is that bad? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say it was conservative yeah. content when maybe the company was more either neutral or left-leaning if they could advertise and see a conversion, is that really harming their brand? That's a great, that's a great point. So there's kind of like a lot in there. So there's, there's the in-group, out-group bias that listeners have towards their host. So the host is in their in-group, which means that they're less likely to question the things that the host says and more likely to accept them as confirming their existing view of the world. And because that paradigm exists, 
it's very unlikely that you would have somebody that's more left-leaning listen to a more right-leaning podcast unless they're explicitly trying to go out of their way. So in like a in a funny way, a brand might have a strategy to actually target different types of people in different ways. So I mean, like most brands, like say you're creating, I don't know, like a t-shirt, you probably don't want like a, a very like conservative or I don't know, or a very liberal person on one of the extremes to be like advertising your t-shirt. But at the same time, you would probably want their audiences to still buy your t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the tension that you walk as a brand where that's really the trade-off. And I feel like it becomes most evident when you transition from being like more oriented in growth to more oriented in like performance and becoming a bigger brand. Mm-hmm. So as you're growing, you might be a lot less picky because you might still be kind of the new kid on the block as a brand. Folks might not have a clear like mental image or association of you. But then as you get bigger, you do have that pressure. There was this uh, Pew Research study that found that like businesses are the most trusted institutions right now, now that our like public institutions are being less and less trusted. So consumers really look to businesses to set those kind of like moral and value guidelines. And so that's when it starts to get tricky when you're a bigger brand and people already have these associations with you. And that's when you could like violate somebody's expectation about how you're going to act. But one way to kind of deal with that is if you're a brand, if you're investing uh, in diverse advertising, whether it's across the political spectrum or in other forms of diversity to begin with, you don't basically allow yourself to be pigeonholed into like just one side or the other. I think that's an opportunity where podcasts really shines because there's quite a few podcasters who don't neatly fall into one bucket or the other. And that level of like nuance on an issue by issue basis, uh, I think elevates the conversation a lot and makes it easier for brands to work with these folks who maybe they disagree with them on one issue, but that doesn't mean that they're like a bad person or like there's that moral inferiority superiority doesn't happen as much because it's less of like a party line conversation. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I'm curious when we think about brand suitability, I also want to talk about ad versus content. So so you have the brand suitability just from a content perspective, right? So is this content in alignment maybe with the views of the company? And I I totally agree with you. And I've, I've not heard anybody make the point before, but I, I think you're spot on when you say that a younger company has more leeway. And part of it is because they perhaps aren't an established institution. But, you know, when we're looking at huge corporations, we do presume that they are going to fall in certain areas. And if they get too extreme one way or the other, I think it really does kind of give us pause as a consumer to be like, wow, what are they doing? You know, what alliances maybe do they have? So I can see that. And I think that that is really fascinating. When we look at it from a content perspective, there's the content, but then there's also the ad reads. And sometimes when I listen to podcasts and the ad reads are extremely kind of just defiant or maybe they act almost annoyed by the advertiser. And I feel like oftentimes it's kind of like a cool factor that like, hey, I've got this company sponsoring my show, but really I don't even need them because I'm way cooler than this brand is, but I'll talk about it anyways. Do you feel like in terms of suitability or in terms of brand safety, how much is it content versus ad read? And do the two of them play together? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think it's I think that's a really interesting question because I I feel like it's almost changing like in real time 
with the shift from like host red is definitely a very effective ad type, but there's like the baked in, right? Where they're putting it in a part of their content and they might be like, they might have just finished talking about something that relates to what the product offering is. And they might like neatly transition into the product offering versus the kind of here's a script from the brand that you read and then we can kind of fake it in somewhere mm -hmm. else. According to the IAB data, the prevalence of the faked in ones are rising. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be in, in response to basically some, some uh, hosts that aren't uh, providing as need of a transition or maybe intentionally kind of, I don't want to say sabotage, but like kind of like creating that tension with the ad itself. I think it's interesting. Like I definitely have noticed this shift personally in just my listenership of these, of this content where I, I'm one of those people that listens to a variety of different podcasts across the spectrum to just try to understand what's going on. I really notice it when I hear my polar opposite shows with the same exact verbatim host dread ad. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is so funny. They probably got like burned by somebody that didn't like do it right. But it is risky. And that creative license that you give to the host, it, it can be uh, kind of a positive or a negative depending on where the host takes it. And sometimes it can be an accident and they say something that they didn't know that that would be the effect. A lot of the time, because of that cult, culty nature of like the way that the host has in-group bias with their followers, the people will still usually listen to the host and they might accept that kind of funny joke. And I've heard it before, like basically like a joke in the advertising read. And like, I don't know, humor is effective. So it might just be them kind of using their creative judgment. But that's definitely, I feel, a tension that brands have to walk. And the bigger you get, the I would say like there's probably a tendency to unless you really, really trust that host and you already have like that historical good rapport with them to give them a script that you have kind of sanctioned to be shared um, and to avoid that risk because it, it's very important as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I kind of find it interesting having been in this space for a little while now, how much brands do not talk about brand safety. And I think oftentimes it's because perhaps they don't understand the risks of, I am associating my brand with a podcast that really, like, I don't really know what they're talking about. And I'm guessing that their content is going to be good. And I'm guessing that the alignment is going to be there. But what if it's not? In your opinion, and from what you've seen, do you think brands are taking brand safety seriously? Or do you think that it needs to be taken more seriously? I think that it depends on the brand. It's similar where like the bigger brands feel more pressure from their stakeholders to care. And also those are typically the brands that might have a policy. So they've probably heard of the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, and they probably have an idea about their stance on guns or illegal drugs discussions or like you name it, any of those GARM components. I feel like the real litmus test is like if a brand is aware of their perspectives on each of the issues. One of the kind of assumptions that we made when designing barometers is that a brand could fill out the filter menu of like high risk, medium risk, low risk to filter the inventory, but that's actually not like a given. So one of the things that we've actually started doing is you can enter all the shows that you run on or all the shows that you're considering for discovery. And then we'll like back into a risk profile for you and show you this is the spread of the shows that you're currently running on. And then we'll pull out like the insights like, oh, 
most of your content appeared on no or low risk for drugs or no or low risk for guns. And then we can have that data-driven conversation that's like, is this an intentional aspect of your policy? And then we can bring in the other interesting layer, which is like, well, how did you perform across each of those segments? Was it really for you low risk was the sweet spot where you got the most conversion? Was it medium risk? Um, so it's like a balance between the policy and the performance mm-hmm. because not for every brand, but for some brands that no risk content might not result in the best conversion. Right. So that's kind of the line that you have to walk. And I think it takes some reflection and also experimentation um, and the data to really try to make those hypotheses and then go out and test them and then reflect and kind of cycle again. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I did want to ask you about the GARM sustainability components, because I do think that there are a lot of companies, especially smaller companies advertising, who really are unaware of, you know, what does that mean? And what are some kind of classifications or things that they should be thinking about and considering? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So GARM is a group of uh like folks in the advertising space uh it's an sh- offshoot of the world federation of advertisers and they have different working groups and garm is one of them so it stands for global alliance for responsible media we're a member as are some of the other folks that you may have heard of like ias or double verifier moat and uh the the framework was really created in response to like first person shooter terrorism videos being monetized on YouTube often unknowingly um and so it started with this concept of like the brand safety floor brand safety and suitability floor and so the idea is anything that is below that floor nobody should monetize and so that was kind of the original impetus was how do we make advertising more responsible across the board. And it really started in like CTV and display ad channels. Um, As advertising has evolved and all of these emerging channels like podcasts now exist, um, one of the challenges has been how do you extend the definitions that were originally designed for display and CTV ads into audio? And so to that end, they've actually made a new working group for GARM of independent measurement vendors working specifically in the podcast space to try to get at those definitions more systematically as a community. So that's one of the efforts that we're very excited about. We've defined these for the purposes of making our own models. So for example, I have the the GARM definition pulled up of um, like illegal drugs, tobacco or vaping. And so it might say for glamorizing, like showing people using drugs. But obviously, like we're not going to have that visual image of somebody using the drug in the podcast. So it might be like glamorizing descriptions of using drugs, whereas the medium risk is dramatic depiction of illegal drug use and then breaking news coverage of illegal drug use. And so, yeah, that might be like news about uh, a chain of overdoses that happened or news about fentanyl or something like that that's breaking. Um, And then the final piece is informative or educational content. That's where you might find like, non-glamorizing, non-dramatic discussions of like AA or like sobriety or things like that. So there's a lot of nuance that the the GARM group has put into these definitions that it's important to preserve as we kind of apply them into the emerging channel of podcasts. So I think that there's like, I really can't blame any advertiser who doesn't know about GARM because especially for podcasts, like 
they haven't really officially released a, a framework or a set of definitions. However, the the brand suitability framework that they do release for CTV and display, and we're, we've now extended it to audio, they update it very regularly. So just in June, they added a new component, the 12th component, which is misinformation, which I think is a really interesting one. Um, it's very tricky. That's what we're kind of very excited about tackling because our background in news really sets us up to approach that in a much more nuanced way, whereas some of the other ones are a bit more clear about what it is that is being talked about with misinformation. Like our our stance on that is like misinformation about what? Like about what issue? Because the misinformation about COVID is not the same as misinformation about like the election or misinformation about a shooting that might have happened. And so that's kind of some of the more emerging spaces of GARM that they're creating in response to how the the landscape is changing. So we don't see so many in podcasts, like first person shooter live podcasts from terrorism. Uh, We don't even see a lot of overt hate speech when we're trying to find examples in the top, top performing content, like the top 2000 or so shows, you're very rarely going to hear like overt hate speech. (laughs) You might hear like implicit hate speech or like assumptions about a group or generalizations or stereotypes, but you're really not going to hear like those unless they're being quoted. Um, Yeah. So I would say that GARM is a really cool tool if you're trying to learn about what the risks are in the space. And it really helps to kind of think about what your position as a brand is on each of those levels. And some for some of them, like obscenity and profanity, you might not care as a brand. Yeah. yeah. And if you're an adult brand, you might not care if there's adult content. But if you're a children's brand, you might care if there's adult content very much. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to kind of find that nuanced uh, profile that really suits your brand and your brand's risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for breaking that down so, so well. And I I do, you know, I pulled up the GARM list and it is really fascinating. So um, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, I would highly encourage you to go pull up a list just because I don't know, I feel like there are some things on here that, I mean, yeah, you, you like, yes, when you say things like, you know, um, spam or harmful content or terrorism or death injury, you know, or military conflicts, like, like yeah, you know, you would, but but maybe you aren't really thinking about that as you're approaching your campaign. So I just think that it is kind of fascinating to look at the list. But I also feel like you made such a good point. We have at True Native Media, just representing podcasts, we've had a string of podcasts who've come to us with really hard content. So it's like there was one show that had a lot of like sexual abuse that they covered, like, you know, different rapes, you know, stories. And it's like someone sharing their story of this horrific event that they went through. But then there's also looking at it from an advertising perspective. It's like, oh my gosh, this content is amazing. And it's super helpful. And if it's helping other people get through similar awful circumstances, or even just giving maybe that that guest an opportunity to share their experience and their growth, all of those things are great, but it still makes the content kind of tricky. Um, because as an advertiser, when you're advertising on a show like that, 
what connections are you making? Um, so I really yeah. like the way that you laid that out because there are different levels, right? Like there's very, it's very yeah. different when you're talking about, you know, like initiating an act or doing an act as opposed to recalling a story or, or learning or support. Um, but I think that those are all important things for advertisers to be aware of. Um, and, yeah. and really it's, I think more than anything, it's about making sure that you as an advertiser are educated about the types of content that you're aligning with. And as you mentioned, the reason that podcast ads can be so effective is because there is that, that association that happens that really does support conversions, but it still really does get down to the base of you know, what message are you putting out there to the consumer about who you are as a company? Yeah. Um, so it's and it can be hard. It can be hard as an advertiser just because of like the length of some of this content. Like yes. you, you have to listen to, and it, what we found in our analysis is there's, there's variety even across one show, unless it's very themed and like some shows are very consistent, but there could be really big variety in terms of like a particular episode is focusing on the experience of like somebody who experienced sexual abuse. And then the next episode might be talking about something that's totally not related. And if you as an advertiser had a strong stance on adult discussions, you may have missed that if you had just listened to a subset of the episode. So I think that's where like the AI tools are really cool because you you literally as an advertiser, like you don't have enough hours in the day to listen to every single piece of content where your ad might land. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that I mean, that was a question I, I actually had for you. And I, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think it is such an important perspective to take like somebody and I mean, with podcasts, gosh, like, you know, I mean, we work with, with, with shows that have like a thousand episodes over the last, you know, five years or whatever. And you yeah. as an advertiser can't be expected to filter through all of that content. And let's say in year one, that host decided that they were on this pro-gun rampage or whatever, right? Like you don't know what it was that they were totally. discussing two years ago and you're not gonna yeah. have that ability to listen through all the content. So I feel like that's a really good segue into Barometer and why you created the company and exactly what it does. Because it, like you have said, it's impossible for an advertiser, a single person to sift through, you know, hours and hours of content. And that's where um, it sounds like Barometer can come in and help us. Yeah, exactly. So we created Barometer to make it uh, scalable and consistent to process any influencer content, specifically podcast content for brand suitability. So there's two parts there. Scalable, as referring to like the exponentially growing number of podcast hours that one would have to actually listen to, but also consistent because every human is biased. To be biased is to be human. We might come into listening to content with our own personal perspective that may be aligned with the brand, may not be. And as we're listening to this very jarring, oftentimes content, it might uh, make us more sensitive over time. We might be hungry and accidentally label something as this or that. Like there's all sorts of studies that show how people's behavior kind of changes throughout the day. And humans are in general, not the most consistent instrument. So our goal was to empower humans to make data-driven decisions. So if we had a system that could process a piece of content according to a scale that the human trusts, then their job would be just to ensure that their policy is being upheld. So maybe they could put their attention on the things that the AI level that's labeled as high risk, or uh, they might focus on like something else to do with their time as a as an ad planner or a media planner. 
than just kind of listening to, to the content itself. Uh, but I do want to emphasize that humans are a really important part of this puzzle. And it's important for people to ultimately be making those buying decisions using consistent and real data, as opposed to kind of like handshakes, like, oh, this host is great. Like, you don't worry, or listening to like 20 minutes of one episode and deciding that you could make a comprehensive judgment about that overall show. Do you feel like like brands or advertisers have a hard time deciding where they want to draw the lines? I think it depends. Some folks have a really clear perspective on some components and not others. We really found that that tends to be where people are at is they really, really care about certain components. Like sometimes you'll hear no politics or no guns. Um, those are really common stances that a brand might have. For the other components, often it's like a discovery process that so they're kind of learning about where they're landing and how it's going. And it's kind of an evolving discussion. I think that basically what Barometer, Barometer has like two main functions. The first function would be looking at understanding how, where you're currently landing, whether that's aligned with your brand values at the level of each episode. So we've gone ahead and analyzed all the episodes based on the presence of potentially like GARM flaggable content. And then also looking at the context to assign that level of risk for you. You can go in and look at, okay, this is my report that shows me this is the percentage of high risk content for each component that I sponsor. And then that allows you to really have a place from which to start the reflection if, mm -hmm. if you're not already coming into it with an idea. And then the second part of it is, okay, now, now that I've gone through that process and I've thought about it a little bit, I have this set of filters basically that I can use to amp to parse the inventory that I'm considering for a buy. And then I can apply whatever additional things I'm interested in. Like maybe my agency suggested that I run on this genre or whatever other data that you have, but you can use that brand suitability as kind of like a baseline as a gut check before going out there into that content. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I love that you kind of reversed engineered it. So it sounds yeah. like originally you were, you were asking the brands, Hey, tell us what you don't want. But instead now what you're doing is you're, you're delivering the information so they can see kind of what that content has. The other thing you said that I find really fascinating is that you had mentioned like the top 2000 podcasts really within those were not seeing any glaring brand safety issues. Is that kind of the case or, you know, what are you finding? So there's definitely like high risk content, sure. um, but that wouldn't be considered below the floor. So there, there might be content like obscenity or profanity is a really common one where somebody might say effing, like they say, like, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, they, people do it all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. You'll have 45 F-bombs in a show and that's definitely high risk. But it's like, it just depends on kind of your perspective on that. There's also, like you mentioned, like content about like sexual assault or something like that, that would be a high risk story discussing that, as assuming that they're like talking about it in a glamorizing way, or it might be medium risk if they're dramatizing that experience for the purpose of entertainment, which is podcast. It's very often how it's come across. True crime is like the best example of this mm. because there's like the true crime that giggles about the serial killer and then the true crime that's very serious and it's recounting of the historical events. The laughing about the serial killer would be considered high risk because it's kind of trivializing the, the morbid nature of that situation, whereas the dramatic, more like crime story style approach would be kind of more medium risk. 
So I would say that it's very nuanced. And I also think that it's kind of like a two-way street where I'm not sure creators, when they're putting their content, they're like sitting there and thinking, oh, I need to make sure that I have like this in there. I need to make sure that I'm talking about it like this. And that's something that we see as an opportunity as well is to give creators kind of like a mirror to like a sandbox where they can upload a draft piece of content and see how it's going to be received because they don't can't see yourself until later. And so it'd be kind of like a spell check instead of your network being like, oh, you got to clean this up. And then you kind of sitting there like, well, what do I actually do? You can see we output a very detailed like episode breakdown where we mark up the transcript with everything the model has flagged. So there's no like black box step where you're sitting there wondering, oh, like, what should I have done? It's very clear, like for this component, these things are flagged. You can see them exactly where they are in the transcript. And then it's your prerogative as a creator to decide, oh, yep, that's exactly how I meant to come across. Or, oh, you know, like good catch barometer. Like I'm going to go refine that a little bit. And um, we haven't worked so much directly with creatives, although we're working on it. We are working with some networks though. And they have expressed that as like a, a concern of being able to have their own creators kind of understand the expectations and have like that more data-driven approach for how to align with those expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. What a great idea, because I do think you're totally right. Most people have a very difficult time seeing the content that they've created through a lens of how others will perceive it. Or like you, you just mentioned, I mean, sometimes people do use, you know, um, cuss words in a very fluid kind of way. And it's just the way that they talk, right? And so it doesn't even occur to them that, oh, maybe saying this word 26 times in my 15 minute episode wasn't a good thing or, you know, and and it's, for me, anytime we're talking about content creation, it doesn't matter at all what you're creating. That's your, essentially your work of art, right? Like that's your creation. You do, you do it the way you want to do it, but you do have to realize that when you're creating content, it is going to be perceived a certain way. And it, and when we're talking about ad dollars, if that's important to you, then that is something that you have to consider. If you're not interested in ad dollars, create a way, you know, like you don't, exactly. have to, you know, you don't have to put that check in there. But I, I do think that that is um, really cool that you guys are building that tool because most people probably don't have the ability to really see what it is that they're creating, or maybe they don't know where the lines are. I just keep thinking my husband the other day was reading an article online and he's like, oh my gosh, you know, do you know this podcast? Evidently this woman was drinking heavily on the podcast and it was like, it was either like a live or they published it right after she left the studio. And then she ends up getting in a car accident and causing yeah. like major damages. I can't remember exactly what she did, but I mean, totally. like if you're a brand and you're associating with that, like, is that what you want? Like, are you okay with that kind of association? So. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up because I think that illustrates like another core value of barometer where we, we say that we'd like to go beyond the transcript. So it's like the, the host is an influencer in addition to being a content creator. And so the host's behavior is also one of the things that your content is going to be associated with if you're an advertiser on that content. And I think that's a really unique example where like, there was that connection from on the tra- in the transcript to about beyond the transcript where you could clearly follow that and kind of make that association. But 
sometimes it's not as clear and like a host might be involved in something like you may have read about that accident, but then if the host hadn't been drinking on the show, you wouldn't have known that might be associated with that person until maybe it was too late. One of the things that we've kind of brought with us from our news processing days is tracking how entities, specifically like hosts, guests, other celebrities or folks of interest are actually being reported on in the media and bringing that in as a data point so you can know like, oh, this host just released a new book. There's like a huge positive uptick in the way that they're being covered in the news. It might be a particularly good time to work with that host right now versus, uh uh-oh, this host just had this uh, tax scandal, DUI scandal, they just killed somebody in a car accident scandal. Like all of those things might be red flags that you would want to avoid and maybe pause your buy, even if the content itself totally meets your standards. It's a two-part question of the the influencer and the content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that because that is totally true. And again, it goes back to if you're a marketer, you don't have all of that information just at your fingertips. And it's a lot of work. I mean, influencer marketing is amazing, right? It performs super well. There's a reason that we love influencer marketing and we want to do more of it, but there is this whole wild card side of it where you're like, who am I aligning with? And you as a, as a marketer cannot be expected to track the ins and outs of every, every influencer or podcaster that you work with. It's just not feasible. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's true even beyond podcasts, like you're mentioning. Like, yeah, but it's cool because podcast offers this very rich data set of everything that creator has said, or like a lot of the things that that creator has said. So if you're trying to build a profile for the influencer, working with the podcast content is a really great place to start. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So interesting. Well, it's been terrific having you on, and I know we need to start wrapping it up. I'm curious what your predictions are in terms of where you see kind of brand safety headed in podcasting in particular. I think it's headed more towards programmatic. So right now there's, I think it's really, really valuable for host read ads. I think it's going to continue to be valuable for host read ads as the long tail is more explored. And we're starting to look at hosts that we're less familiar with and trying to make get an understanding of their corpus of content over a long period of time. I think that's really where the machine learning tools are going to be really effective. It's helping scale uh, growth of the long tail. And then with the programmatic side, like whether it's dynamic ad insertion or any other type of like future real-time buys that might be possible, right now the way that it works in display ads is how bigger advertisers would like to see it work in in podcasts, but the tools have just not been available until very recently. I think we came on the market in March and we were in a closed beta until June. So it's only really been available to advertisers since June. And we're already working through some of the like ecosystem uh, infrastructure limitations that are making it currently, it's not super easy to be able to apply that same set of filters because when you're placing like a target audience, an audience targeting by, you don't even know where your content could land. You don't get a list of episodes or you get that after the fact, after it's landed. And so if we were to think through what that real-time decision flow would be like taking brand suitability into account, you would have had to already process all of that inventory before the buy took place. So in order for to make it possible for the whole, for that programmatic kind of workflow, 
you need to have integrations with the hosting companies so that as soon as the content is uploaded, it's already analyzed so that it's that data is available at the time of the real-time bid. But then you also have to have the communication between the folks who are hosting it and the buying platform to be able to pass that as a field for mm -hmm. them to do a comparison, a, a check to see if that's in alignment with the with the bid, with the request from the advertiser. Yeah, that is really fascinating, actually, um, because that makes total sense. You would have to have it all pre-checked. We'll have to see how things grow in advance. I'm, I'm sure that you. I mean, it sounds like you guys are making a lot of headway. So I'm, I'm interested to watch your team grow. And if people are interested in connecting with you, where is a good place for them to find you? For me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Tamara Nelson, my, or slash T Zubati. Um, and then you can also find our website, thebarometer.co, or you can just email me at Tamara at thebarometer.co or find me at Podcast Movement. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad you'll be there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a really fascinating conversation. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that this episode has been really informative. I think it is definitely the best brand safety conversation we have had here on the show. So I hope that you got some interesting tidbits out of it. And if you're interested in learning more about podcast advertising in general, please head on over to our website at truenativemedia.com to download our podcast advertising guide. Thanks for listening to the show and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 